coming up on the Doctorpreneurs Podcast. There was nobody who was actually wanting this transparency that we are giving because it would have uncovered um, largely legal uh, structures. Also, all of the parties involved earned sufficient amounts of money to keep uh, the status quo and wanted to keep the status quo as is. This is the Doctorpreneurs Podcast. Hello and welcome once again to the Doctorpreneurs Podcast Season 2. And um, we are available on all major podcast platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and we are also on YouTube. You may find all our links in our description below. Uh, once again, this is Dr. Lin, and together with me is my co-host, Mr. Andrew Mestrindonis. Hi, Andrew. Hey, how are you doing? Uh, we're very excited to welcome our guest all the way from Berlin today, right? You're in Berlin, is that right? That's correct. And uh, his name is Philip Burr, and he is the founder and CEO of Marta. Is that correct? Correct. Um, thanks for, for having me, Andrew. Um, thanks, uh, Dr. Lim. I'm glad to be here. We got to know uh, Philip since I think around last July. We participated in the United Nations program called UN Women, which was helping develop and grow companies in the caregiving space and how to empower women in this space. So Philip and I have been talking every week or every other week since July, sharing experiences. We've learned a lot from the European or German experience in caregiving and his company specifically, and maybe he's learned a thing or two from us, hopefully. So this discussion today is about the German experience, the European experience in caregiving, how it might differ from ours, uh, just a really nice flowing conversation. So we might start off, Philip, with maybe you can tell us about what you're doing and how you got to where you are today. Just a little bit of background would be great to start off with. Yeah, and, and who you For are sure. as well and what, what is your um, field of expertise. And I have to say, Andrew, I really agree with you that uh, what all this pointers that Philip has been giving us over the past few months has been tremendously helpful. So I also want to appreciate uh, uh, Philip and um, say thank to you, take this opportunity to say thank you. Uh, go ahead. So the floor is yours. Of course, it's been been a pleasure. So myself, I'm um, have a business background. Um, I've studied business. I've um, had my own companies uh, in the past, but uh, those were more into the fast-moving consumer goods and uh, nothing as to the complexity of of the care market. Um, I've also um, learned um, being a management associate to one of the uh, biggest uh, German conglomerates, uh, Bertelsmann, where I could also assist uh, multiple venture investments. And uh, again, um, started to, to to put an eye onto to that industry and uh, really saw my passion and, and wanted to build something myself. And uh, while I didn't come across the, the right idea um, at first, and uh, I was um, taken by by a problem that I had in my own family, and that was taking care of my grandparents. So we had moved uh, two of my grandparents into our own house, and uh, we wanted to take care of them uh, firstly ourselves. But uh, sadly enough, their health status um, deteriorated so quickly that it wasn't possible uh, for us to support this as as a family ourselves. And uh, now that's the reality for 75% um, of Europeans and Germans uh, who have a relative who is in need of care. Uh, then being taken care of at home because elderly homes are for once uh, not a desired solution. And on the other hand, it's a, it's a real estate game um, that doesn't grow quickly enough in order to cover the demand um, that we're seeing um, in Europe and uh, I believe uh, worldwide. Um, so we were faced a situation of needing to find somebody to take care of uh, our grandparents' parents at home um, and thereby looked uh, onto, onto the live-in care market. Um, now, we're talking about a market of non-professional caregivers that have caregiving experience and move into an elderly's home, take care of the household and um, the basic um, hygienic um, tasks and, and chores that, uh, that bring you through the day. Um, now, that experience has mostly been terrible. Uh, we've worked with uh, 10 agencies. We've had over the years, I believe, over 30 caregivers in, in my grandparents' uh, house. And uh, sometimes it worked out great. Right. Uh, we had uh, loving, caring um, caregivers who became part of the family. And uh, one uh, in, in particular, uh, Marta, um, has been with us for, for over two years. 
and we've celebrated Christmas with her multiple times. And uh, yeah, she was a family member. Now, as she grew grew older and uh, turned 70 herself, so my grandparents needed more physical support. We couldn't rely on her anymore and had to go back to agencies to find somebody who could provide uh, that service, who was also able to physically um, lift my grandfather, uh, for example. Um, and the same problem started again. We were mediated multiple times caregivers that arrived and that told us that they weren't actually aware of the, the situation of, of my grandparents. And uh, we clearly saw there's a, there's a mismatch. Um, it could be as simple as, as a dog allergy, somebody coming, and it was clear they had uh, traveled for 24 hours. And we had both expected um, this for, for weeks. And now we're back to, to zero, both ends. And I really question how can it be um, that this market is so, so inefficient? We have um, platforms for, for everything nowadays, um, but not for, for this type of unprofessional uh, caregiving services. And you soon, soon realize that in the mediation of unprofessional uh, care services in Europe, you have uh, typically five parties at least that earn money uh, from one mediation. And their interests are obviously not, not all aligned and lead to the classical principal agent of problems and uh, don't give an opportunity to actually control any type of process, right? Uh, in business, we have three different possibilities to, to control um, what, what we're doing. That's input, process, and output controls. And none of them um, could be put onto to an in, inefficient market like, like it was, like we saw. Uh, so we said, hey, um, in order to actually change something, we first got to own the full value chain um, of, of the mediation of uh, unprofessional um, care services. And uh, that's where we stand today. Um, so today, the company Marta, um, named after that, that caregiver that supported my family for, for so long, um, is uh, the first point of contact of caregivers um, and the first point of, of contact of uh, families. And uh, we're mediating um, the, the right caregiver to, to the appropriate family by uh, onboarding both, both parties in a fully standardized manner. Hence, um, we collect uh, about 130 data points on families and trying to understand their specific situation. Um, and on the other hand, we have um, just under 100 data points of each caregiver because each caregiver comes with their own experience and also their preference with uh, what type of, of illness, um, situational um, household they, they're willing to work with. And uh, we provide basically an educated um, decision that somebody can take. Uh, both parties uh, will be recommended the, the most suitable um, counterparty and uh, they can apply. And uh, we support if there are any questions in that and take care of all uh, legal, um, administrative and uh, insurances that, uh, that are needed in that process. How is... So how does this distinguish yourself from what you experienced in the agency model when you were going through those 30 caregivers? For sure. So we, we firstly got to understand why is this market still so, so inefficient, right? Because um, you can book anything online nowadays, um, but it seems uh, only this service you can't. <clears throat> and um, the reasons are multifold, but the main reason is actually um, that the market of live-in care um, is particularly defined by Eastern European personnel moving to Western Europe because we have a large wage gap in Europe, but uh, one labor market, which is quite, uh, quite a unique uh, system. Now, that system or that harmonization of the labor market has only come into place uh, since the early 2000s. And uh, firstly, for example, for, for Germany, it was, it was Poland, I believe, in 2004 or five. Um, whereby um, Polish workers could easily come uh, to Germany and, and work um, with, with no uh, further uh, regulation as to permits needed or, or similar. Um, market like Romania, which, um, which is part of this now, has only uh, moved into that direction um, in the last three to, to five years. Um, so the market existed before, though, right? Uh, you have those labor movements, um, despite uh, the harmonization despite this being legal or illegal. So we're actually facing a market where we see about 80% of the market is in the gray area. Um, hence, somebody who was actually wanting this transparency that we are giving because it would have uncovered um, largely illegal uh, structures. Also, all of the parties involved 
earn sufficient amounts of money to keep the, the status quo and wanted to keep the status quo as is. Now, the, the major difference is that, first of all, no five parties earn, earn money on a mediation with us. It's only us. We take a platform fee, which is over 20%, and uh, the rest goes directly into the pocket uh, of the caregiver. In a typical mediation, um, 50 to 70% um, of the money paid by a care seeker will end up with those parties mediating the care. Hence, we can actually um, offer on our platform the service for a lower price while the caregiver earns more money. Uh, so both parties benefit from this. And obviously, there is usually how care is requested is um, there's a German agency that talks to um, to a care um, seeker, and uh, they ask them to fill out uh, a PDF form um, with, with the situation of their household and the person in care describing this. That's obviously done in German, and most of the time this is actually still done with pen and paper. Now this, uh, this needs analysis, how we call it, is uh, scanned and then uh, sent uh, by the German agency to agencies in Eastern Europe who again try to find the correct caregiver and propose this case um, to, to caregivers. Obviously, in that, uh, a lot is lost in translation because uh, we have the issue of um, language barriers that come up. Um, so, first of all, we don't know if the information arrives to the caregiver ever because there's a principal agent problem in proposing to the caregiver that the case is actually easier and more comfortable than it actually is. We also don't know if the information flows to him, whether he fully understands this uh, situation as is. Um, in our case, all of the information that the family inputs on our platform is directly translated into five languages. Um, we can always ensure that in the mother tongue of the caregiver, and the caregiver will see the profile and is already being proposed the jobs with the highest uh, match rate based on all of these metrics. You mentioned earlier that there were like five people involved in the, as intermediaries and that like something like 70 to 80% went to those intermediaries as opposed to the caregivers. Who are all these people involved in that process previously? So a family would typically start looking um, for, for care by, let's say, Googling. And uh, they'll come to, to one of the five big lead generation companies um, in, in Germany for, um, for care. And uh, there they will input uh, the super basic information, contact details, phone number, email, and they'll be called by, by these lead generation companies and questions um, around the, the status and that, that they need uh, support with. Um, and uh, from there on, the lead generation company will look at all of the portfolio companies uh, they have an agreement with and uh, suggest all of the services that could potentially help um, this, this family. Uh, now, first of all, that's that's great, right? Because uh, you actually they deliver a, a value. They they point out all of the services that there there are. Um, what is not nice about this that it's often suggested um, that this is sort of a non-profit organization that mediates you the the best uh, three providers that are out there in the market based on your individual needs. Um, but that's not the case, right? Those are for-profit uh, companies that are just forwarding those leads to the highest-paying bidder. Um, they have, and um, they'll usually sell uh, elites to at least uh, three companies in the respective space uh, that they will then try to convince um, the family to, to take their services. Now, um, you, you'll have, let's say, if we remain in the area of living care, three agencies that try to, to oversell each other and uh, usually in that process overpromise the service that can actually be delivered. One of them will, will actually... Uh, win over the family and win a consulting contract in order to fill um, the demand of the family by mediating the request to an Eastern European company. Um, now, mediating that to an Eastern European company usually uh, works through an intermediary that pools all of the agencies in Europe and then forwards that to multiple agencies. The agencies in Eastern Europe, again, have a similar structure, uh, whereby it's less of like a professional large lead generation company that they get their leads from, but rather um, local people um, that, that are basically this, the street on the feet, um, feet on the street, that way, <laughs> and, uh, and generate uh, those leads. And all of them um, earn money on this mediation, but uh, very little of, of those parties involved actually provide uh, value. 
to to either hand. Right. So so if I'm hearing you correctly, basically there are so many layers involved. Uh, in order for a person in Germany to seek uh, care or to get a to get a caregiver to come in, and so so it must have been very difficult for you to kickstart the process when you are um, eliminating or rather kind of like making things more straightforward directly from the caregiver to the care seeker. Uh, what are the what are some of the challenges that you face? You know, while while going through while trying to um, um, simplify such a complicated process in the past. For sure. So the first challenge was actually to solve the the problem around uh, the the legal aspect of this. Um, as I said, large parts of this market are, are in the grey area, and we obviously didn't want to do that. Uh, we firstly got to ensure um, the legality of of the, our service and um, before doing anything else. And um, gladly enough, um, the we we spoke to one of the biggest law firms in in Europe about this problem. And um, being uh, a pre-seed startup, we couldn't really uh, pay the bill of, of them uh, providing the full service and uh, for, for this business model. But they said, hey, um, we like this idea so much. Um, it's providing so much value to society. And we're so convinced that there is a legal way uh, to, to actually do this, that we want to be paid in equity rather than cash. And that's obviously a um, perfect deal back then. So there was the first check mark, um, ensuring that's, that everything we do is legal. The next step was, hey, how do we actually gain traction on, on the caregiver side, right? Because for me as a German, it's a lot easier to attract um, families who need care. Um, but uh, going to, to Eastern European countries like Poland, Lithuania and Romania, the countries that we are currently predominantly uh, sourcing caregivers from, it's a lot harder. And um, that was actually done through an existing agency. Um, we approached the owner of that agency and uh, found an agreement whereby he would let us um, look into all of his processes and learn how things are done. So my first step was actually moving to, to Warsaw for some time and uh, learning about the industry firsthand. So I was seeing how does an agency currently um, manage all of their lead generation um, personnel in, in the different villages? How do they get the leads forwarded? To, to the agency again, how do they work with the German counterparts? And um, that was super valuable, right? Uh, if we wouldn't have that uh, contact, we likely would have uh, had to delay the entire process of go to market uh, by, by some month. Um, now, after that, uh, we were also uh, given our first, uh, first contact into the market um, and we opened uh, up shop in, in Romania um, because we said, okay, that's the... It's the market actually the, the furthest east in, in Europe uh, that's the, the least mature and, and brings the greatest challenge. If we, if we can move a caregivers from the, the eastern, most eastern borders of Europe um, to Western Germany, we can easily roll out the, the other markets. <clears throat> and that's uh, proven true. For example, to, to open up a new market for us, like Poland, took us basically a week because as said, we just internationalize all of the data fields uh, and it's more of a translation service um, than, than the typical startup, which which, which has to, to try to, to go into a new market. Um, but yes, building up that structure and gaining the first foothold was difficult because um, those are um, countries that I'm not native from. I don't speak the languages, and it's uh, it's yeah, it, it's sort of a multi-level marketing um, that that is happening in the market, and that you have to break through. Were there any, uh, when you were in Warsaw, were there any things you found to be surprising or interesting or didn't expect? The mediation was actually even less digital and less efficient than I could have ever imagined. So each and every single day, um, a person would sit there in the office and write on a, with pen and paper on a piece of paper, really like physically, all of the, the, the requests from the demand side that they were, were getting. And on another piece of paper, they'd lie right next to it. They'd write down all of the caregivers um, that they were provided by, by the recruiters um, in, in the villages. And then there was a big map of Germany in front of them because most of the caregivers not only voice a preference as to, as to the 
care profile that um, that they will ultimately apply for, but also for the regions, um, because they might have uh, relatives in those regions. So this person then was sitting there with two pieces of paper, writing down from all of the requests they got, taking only the five most important um, preferences of both sides, looking at the map and trying to find matches. Now, this is obviously super inefficient, but how would you else do it? If you have a family profile and some of the agencies in Germany, it spends for 15 pages, right? Um, same goes for caregivers. Uh, what is their experience with what illnesses? Where do they want to work? Where don't they want to work? Like, if you have only 10 requests from both sides, um, it's basically impossible for ones to actually match both sides on all of these terms, because then you'd, you'd never find two parties getting together. Um, but also just doing this in a non-digital way without an algorithm that actually puts a relationship to all of these fields, impossible. So it was clear that the request was disregarded. The actual effort that went into filling out those, those 15 pages of, of needs analysis weren't actually used, but only five indicators and that one on the other hand. So I was actually kind of afraid going to Warsaw because I'm like, okay, this is now becoming real, right? It had been an idea for so long and then it was real. But uh, seeing that, how the market worked, I, I got the confidence to say, hey, um, the, the possibilities of, of taking this into the digital area, it's so huge, the potential, that uh, I, I was super confident uh, leaving Warsaw again. Um, in saying, hey, we will provide uh, value to the market and uh, providing this value will, will be uh, repaid. Are you still working with this agency in Poland? We're not working with any agencies, right? So oh, okay. we're not relying on any third party, um, but we obviously still have a good relationship. Uh, looking at, at the market, we roughly estimate over 5,000 um, agencies in Eastern Europe and in Germany alone about 1,000. Um, agencies uh, that on each end are trying to to win market. Um, so there is a huge market in Germany alone. It's uh, it's about six hundred thousand caregivers working in this day in day out, meaning um, about eighteen billion being spent uh, on this in Germany alone. The European numbers, obviously, you can uh, multiply them um, roughly by by five, looking at the population of Germany and entire Europe. Um, the the good thing about this for us is that at any given moment, a caregiver looking for a job um, will not be bound to only one agency because not one agency will not be able to always provide a job um, for this caregiver because as said, not each caregiver matches with each family. So the caregivers have a reoccurring um, need for somebody meeting a job because um, typically they, they go into a job uh, for two to six months at a time. And also, they're used to working with multiple parties at the same time in order to shop for the best job. So when we, for the first time, actually launched the feature on our platform, that caregivers could scroll through jobs and are being suggested for the job with the highest matching rate at first, um, all over Facebook, uh, they, they sent us hearts and, uh, and props for this because that's exactly what they want to do. And usually, they have to talk to 10 agencies in order to to see a couple of family profiles that they could apply to. And now they, they can do this instantly. And we also see that, that we actually have uh, net negative uh, cohorts, that being those caregivers that we've talked to in the past month. Um, we couldn't necessarily supply a job to, to them instantly, but as our platform grows and the number of available jobs increases, we can supply more and more caregivers that we, we've already talked to in the past with jobs. And they constantly come back to our platform and check out the jobs. And the more jobs we have, the higher the success rate of a caregiver actually signing in and finding the job right that moment that they, they're looking for. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Very interesting what you're doing. I mean, you're utilizing technology. I think it's, it's something, I think the whole age care, even uh, well, the caregiving industry worldwide is is not really mature when it comes to technology yet. And it's really encouraging to see that you are, you are among the pioneers in, in this groundbreaking technology that you have. Now, uh, you've mentioned the issue of uh, language barrier a few times during this conversation. How do you actually you know, overcome this issue? Because we, we are experiencing something similar in Malaysia as well, whereby the care 
seekers would always want someone that can speak their native language. And the fact of the matter is, uh, there are not that many Chinese speaking caregivers in, in the Malaysian market, and the Chinese care seekers represent the biggest uh, care seeking market in Malaysia. So, how do you then overcome? Because I understand that you also have similar issues when it comes to language barrier among the Europeans. Maybe you can share, uh, shed some light on what you have been doing. For sure. Um, so for once, we actually have that advantage that uh, a lot of um, Euro Eastern European um, caregivers do speak um, um, basic German. Nevertheless, uh, the, the number that actually speaks fluent German um, is limited. Um, looking at different needs analysis, though, you often realize that it is not the companionship necessarily um, that is the most important for people looking for, for this type of uh, live-in care, but it's rather somebody who actually takes well care of them, who has a compassionate approach to this job, who takes care of the household. So we do realize that language skills aren't as important um, as oftentimes people think who, who receive this type of care for the first time. So this is also a thing of education to the families. That's not the most important. On the other hand, uh, we have a device called the Marta Assist, which is a very simple translator. Um, there are two buttons, you, me, and uh, people speak into that that don't speak any German, comes out as German and vice versa. And um, while it's it's something new for, for the generation that is being taken care of, this works uh, very well. And um, now it is obviously important for some illnesses um, that somebody speaks better German. And that's where the emphasis then put on, right? So we level that out based on the recommendations we do to, to both parties, depending on the situation of the, the elderly looking for, for care and how important uh, we deem that the language skills actually are. Um, in the future, if, if we look at, at non-professional care, uh, which, which can be the only solution for um, those, the care seekers that we have, it goes beyond living care, right? And uh, we can think of, for example, a daily companionship. And uh, those are usually people within the neighborhood that you mediate. And those are people who much more take care of this, being there for somebody, listening to, to a person, helping them out in a state, uh, in a physical state where it's still more important for somebody to be there rather than for somebody to actually um, to do a lot of the, the work, right? Um, and that falls into the category where we say, okay, um, that's definitely interesting to us, either moving that onto our platform ourselves or mediating the service, right? We see ourselves as, as this platform of live and care only in the first step. We are the anchor point for, for all services and products that somebody um, who's in need of care or who's the relative of somebody in need of care needs because um, this entire onboarding process and asking all of these questions to, to the family gives us a very clear picture um, what this household will likely need. And uh, we want to be the gateway that really provides that and sheds more transparency um, onto, onto these services and products. So, so are you suggesting that short-term care companions, a few hours a day who may be locals in the area of a care seeker, is something to look at and there's demand for that? And is that more complicated to provide or do you think your system works in a way that you can do that as well? So there's definitely a market for that. Um, the difference being to the live and care market, um, that the live and care market is an existing market um, where we mainly try to, to pull a gray market onto um, our platform. The, Daily companionship, that's something new. While it always have, has existed, it hasn't always existed for the exchange of money, right? It used to be a thing that, that neighbors did, um, but that used to be also, it's, it's a time we were outgrowing, right? With, with further organization and uh, us being able to, to get everything um, as, as a service we buy, all of these services that are usually on, on the friendship level, um, they, they're being eradicated. Um, so now we have to fill that again. So it's something where you have to educate the market more, but there's a huge uh, potential for this. 
Um, our platform can easily cover that, right? Uh, the entire infrastructure that we have built um, covers more than that. So this is actually um, earlier in the funnel. Uh, nevertheless, uh, our focus for, for now is, is, is living care, um, but it's not, not a competition. We see it as an adjacent service. Um, you have the, the great example of, of Boots Org in, in the Netherlands. Um, there, it's, it's pretty much the, the only European market where this, this idea of, of daily companionship has, has really taken off uh, well. Um, and this, this person um, is more seen as, as somebody who helps you coordinate everything and all the services you need. This will not be the person who will be with you eight hours or more a day and, and really um, do the caregiving job. Um, that's where somebody else comes in. And uh, I can even see uh, models whereby uh, a companion um, comes in, checks um, on, on the person who receives the live-in care service, allows for the live-in caregiver to, to have uh, more hours off because it's a super demanding job uh, where if the family isn't close, um, you need somebody else who ensures that the, the caregiver actually has, has idle time and that can be provided. Also, as, as you said, providing um, more help on, on those issues that might require somebody to, to speak German um, can be covered by, by somebody local who comes into the household for a couple of hours uh, a week and gives guidance. And obviously also um, you, you'll need those professional caregivers still, right? Um, let's not disregard them. Uh, we just see that, that over 90% of the, the services that an elderly needs can be provided by non-professional um, caregivers. There, there will always remain these, um, these tasks that, that will require somebody to have a professional education and somebody should do that who has a professional education. And um, we have sufficient number of examinated caregivers though who can provide exactly that bit of care. They can come in for two, three hours a week, provide those services that they were educated to do. But today, um, they're oftentimes occupied um, with preparing lunch for, for the elderly or similar. A job that is super important, but that doesn't require um, the education that they have. And there we are basically alleviating um, this, this shortage of, of examined caregivers by allowing them to do the job that they uh, were trained to do and uh, that they really can do best. And you, and you think there's enough of a local labor pool to do these more short-term type of jobs? Because here, at least, you know, we're in a situation of living care mostly anyway. But I don't know how many locals here in Malaysia would want to do this kind of work. And maybe Dr. Lim can talk about that. But uh, it's been a struggle in this market, at least. Yeah, I think I think there are people out there that are looking for um, uh, more of like this kind of gig work. Uh, like you know, a couple of hours or more, or more, sometimes more on a regular basis. There are people looking for that, but in Malaysia, I think the the uh, there's a gap between what the care seekers are willing to pay and how much the local caregivers are expecting to be compensated. So there's still a gap like that, and because care seekers sometimes they're working on a pretty tight budget, uh, more often than not in Malaysia, and uh, even the live-in care is is I think. It's only uh, affordable among the maybe top 20% uh, of, of, of the population in Malaysia. And so that is that this gap that we still see exists in our market, whereby the expectations of the compensation from the, uh, of, uh, from the caregivers is, is uh, different from what the care seekers are willing to pay. Maybe, Philip, you know, you can sh uh, share with us how sure. it's... So yeah. um, the, the demand is definitely there. It's the supply also, because... Um, the, the price sensitivity in Germany as to these services isn't uh, very high. Um, so people are willing to pay 25, 30 euros an hour um, for, for this, uh, this daily companionship. Um, so that's, that's an interesting um, hourly wage um, for, for somebody who mustn't have uh, any, any education. We're currently, to, to put this in perspective, at 10 hours of minimum wage in, in Germany. So it's significantly uh, higher what is being and can be paid for this. And uh, we see a lot of countries, if we look to the US or as, as I pointed out, the Netherlands, where this type of service um, is working. And uh, I believe the, the most difficult part in this in industry is actually um, uh, the elderly accepting this care because it's, it's sort of the, the first step 
of receiving um, somebody or receiving care. And uh, most elderly at that stage, um, they obviously have the, they, they want to take care of themselves, right? They, they don't want to accept that they're not self-sufficient anymore. Um, so that's, that's the greatest um, challenge I see because, um, for example, if you tell, speak to, to the elderly in, in this market, um, they're often fine uh, with, with getting somebody in um, who helps them with uh, their daily chores, the household chores. But as soon as uh, it's, it's labeled of being like a companionship, it's more difficult and it's a learning experience, right? Because it's, it's nothing that their parents um, received, right? It's, it's nothing they, they saw in the past. But um, people, especially during Corona times, I believe, um, have seen that it's more important to also um, get those social contacts outside the realm of your own family and have also seen that it's not possible anymore for your family to, to fully cover that because your family likely, um, right? Both your kids are working either or like even like men, women uh, or diverse, right? We don't want to be discriminating you, right? But it's, it's something new, right? In, in the past, uh, the generation that is being taken care of, it was the, the usual status um, that their daughter or the daughter-in-law took care of them and that they lived in the same village or even the same household. That's not the case anymore. Right. Just uh, turning to something different, I'm just curious about this. If I understand it right now, you're mainly focused on the German market. You're supplying labor from Eastern Europe. What other markets in Europe, in Europe do you think are attractive to disrupting? Of course. So we do <clears throat> clearly want to focus on the German market at first, because that's that the market opportunity is huge. Um, it is quite easily possible for us to, to expand our entire recruiting to basically any country. Um, as to the demand side, the obvious markets for German startups um, to, to expand into, that's typically the Dach area, meaning Austria, Switzerland. Um, <clears throat> they are very similar, <clears throat> not only as to the language skills, but also, for example, if we look at uh, individual markets, for example, the Romanian language, um, it's very closely associated with Italian. So um, there's a great labor movement from Romania to Italy. So that's such a natural um, next step for us. Um, however, we firstly want to really develop the platform. The market is, is big enough in, in Germany for now. Learn from that and take the learnings of gathering all of the data that we have and see how can we build um, a product, uh, a software product that is uh, universally applicable and, and really helps out people, people everywhere. Uh, not to get into the nitty gritty, but if you look at the other German speaking markets like Austria or Switzerland, have you seen challenges there that are different than, say, in Germany? For sure, especially um, in Austria. In Austria, this, this market for live-in care um, is a lot more sophisticated and regulated. Um, so Austria is uh, pretty much exactly one-tenth the size of Germany. And uh, you have over 50,000 uh, registered caregivers uh, working there day in, day out. Um, that being said, the, the government in, in Austria at some point decided um, there is this, this problem of having this type of service, living care, which is clearly um, the, the second or third um, biggest service provided to people in need of care. So you can't cut it out. Right? There's too many households who are relying this, on this care that, that you cannot allow it from happening. But at the same time, the concept of somebody living at somebody's household and uh, working hours not being strictly controlled and not controllable um, is very difficult for, for the politicians on the one hand to want to ensure that a person like a caregiver um, is, is sort of falling under uh, the normal labor um, law and being protected on the other hand nobody can enforce that so the the model for, for austria that that shows is to say okay we have a sole proprietorship of these caregivers which usually in, in germany and austria comes with somebody not uh, not being obligated to pay any social contribution whatsoever or there's no minimum wage there's no maximum number of working hours and they try to sort of uh, cover that bit by saying okay Sole proprietorships who are providing this type of care 
um, have to pay into social contribution. It's a, it's a lower amount to keep the, the pay attractive. Um, and there, there is a replacement cycle of those caregivers. So they're not allowed to, to stay, let's say, for six months um, in, as in a totally unregulated market. With this extra regulation also comes more support from the government. So there are more funds that can be directly used in order to pay for this service. And ultimately, what we are doing in Germany is we're, we're trying to, to take this as a role model. And uh, we're, we'd be very happy for, for the German government to step in and, and regulate uh, the market further, because it only helps our cause in, in bringing more transparency and, and fairness to the market. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought up this uh, issue of regulations, because uh, one of the biggest challenges we face in Malaysia actually is uh, with the regulators, because um, we are we are moving. We, we see the market demand. We are moving forward innovatively, but the the regulator seems to be always left behind. And um, like one of the challenges that we face in Malaysia is pretty much elderly care in Malaysia is completely out of pocket. There is no long term insurance, long term care insurance coverage, and there is basically not much of government support when it comes to uh, for care seekers when it comes to uh, uh, caregiving, and. Basically, we don't as a as a caregiving company. I think we are we fall under the category of being a social enterprise, but we do not get any government help, government incentives. Maybe the things uh, are slightly different in Europe, and, and based on what you are sharing, uh, what Austrian what what the Austrian government is doing, that's really inspiring. And how do you see all these regulations uh, moving forward in in Germany as as you continue to expand your business in in this field? So in Germany, there a lot of um, sort of uh, pockets that uh, that you can uh, look at in, in trying to receive support um, if you have a relative uh, who's in need of care. Um, for the, the type of service that, uh, that we are mediating, um, families can typically make use of, of four different funds, um, which is already great, um, but it could be better because still uh, non-professional care services uh, receive um, only about half the funding as professional ones, even though we know that there's not enough professional services to actually cover the demand. So we're sort of incentivizing people to rely on, on professional services uh, when it's a solution that that doesn't cover the demand. And that is, I believe, uh, one, of, one of the core developments uh, that we will see because, um, or I hope that the politicians um, know of this. And obviously, we're trying to, to read all of the, the working papers that also politicians uh, are trying to, to get to in order to understand the market, because it's a very complicated market to understand. And uh, we, we've heard uh, sort of uh, along the lines from the last government that they were actually uh, in favor of, of the model that uh, Austria has, has been showing us. Um, we've, we've had a change in, in our government in, in the past uh, six months. So we have to see uh, where our new government, our new coalition will move to because it's, it's two parties that are involved, right? It's our labor minister and our health minister. And uh, they sort of have to come to an agreement uh, looking, looking at, the, at the market we're in. You talked about a minute ago about professional versus unprofessional in the social context. I wasn't quite sure how you distinguish between professional and non-professional. Sorry, what I mean by this is an examined caregiver. That means in Germany, somebody who's been educated for three years in the service and the, the non-professional, thereby I mean somebody who doesn't have formal education in this space. But looking, for example, at our platform, the average care experience that a caregiver has is over five years, uh, meaning that Yes, they, they are definitely professionals, and I'm sorry for sort of misusing that word, but it's uh, quite difficult. Um, even in Germany, uh, there there is a difference in in the wording around those services, but hardly anybody knows about it. Um, the entire wording around this industry is already false. In English, you have the, the nice saying of live-in care. And in Germany, for example, uh, you talk about 24-hour care. Um, which is very misleading because nobody can work 24 hours. Right. Um, and uh, that is oftentimes the, the first sort of um, truth you have to, to bring to a family that is looking for that service, that it's not 24 hours somebody is working, but uh, that that is somebody very human who can provide a service only for so long and can only cover the demand to, to a certain level of severity until you need to, to add additional services to, to cover that. 
Yeah, while we are on the topic of uh, professional versus non-professional caregivers, like in, in Malaysia, we experience a lot of uh, care seekers coming to us and say, you know, uh, so first of all, the 24 hours care thing is something very common that we have here as well. And we always like, like to joke with the, with the client saying that uh, our uh, robot caregivers are still under development. We don't have robot caregivers yet. <laughs> our human caregivers can only, can only work a certain num- uh, number of hours a day. And, and usually we just uh, lightheartedly joke with our, our care seekers on that. But, but also, um, I think uh, some of the challenges that we are facing um, when it comes to, to this uh, non-professional and professional caregivers is that our care seekers sometimes expect the caregivers whether they are professional or non-professional, to also cover household chores, which is a whole different work scope. But in, in the eyes of the care seekers, uh, very often they say, oh, caregivers, uh, you know, you are like, you are also a domestic worker as well. So you're supposed to do all these household chores on top of caring for, for the, the, you know, the person that requires care. How, how do you educate your clients when it comes to this kind of matter on the difference between domestic uh, work helpers versus uh, professional caregivers or even non- non-professional caregivers? Yes, actually, that uh, is something that um, our caregivers very well do. Um, so it's it's uh, one of the core um, services that they provide is taking care of the domestic chores um, because um, that is uh, one of the the services that, that the elderly definitely can't take care of anymore. And... Um, when it comes to the caregiving, uh, the, the idea is that, yes, there's the, the basic um, hygiene that, that the, the caregivers uh, take care of. But if we look into the more professional uh, side, that's where really the ambulatory uh, care services are being used. So it's, it's very clear that, um, that the services provided are to a large degree domestic uh, chores. Well, that's interesting because I think it's a much different situation here our caregivers tend not to want to do most maid-like services. Uh, it's just too much in their eyes to be cleaning a house and doing everything around the house and cooking and cleaning and providing personal care to the to the client. So they will do some of it, but it's certainly much different than a maid service. and the care requirement uh, right. uh, for, of the patient as well. Like some of the patients, they are rather independent. So, so, you know, it's, it's easier for them to, for the caregiver to, to do both, right? To take care of the household chores and the, the person at the same time. But uh, very often in Malaysia, when, when somebody engages a caregiver, they actually have someone who is bedridden at home on tube feeding, you know, or someone with dementia. So this, this higher level uh, care requirements certainly prevent some of our caregivers from, uh, carrying out, how, uh, I mean, doing the household chores at the same time as well. So for, for sure, if we have the more severe cases, and especially if it's not only one person in the household, but you have two and they really require high amounts of attention, uh, looking to its uh, dementia, just being with them constantly, um, then it's, it becomes relevant to, to get in a third party to, to take care of, um, of, of domestic chores. Uh, but we see that a lot of... Um, people who, who are actually starting to, to make use of, of the services in, in Germany are largely um, self, self-determined self still at home um, and, and really require, especially for, for these types of, of things, um, services. Right. So uh, I, I know, Philip, you said you had 40, 45 minutes, so we're going we're gonna to have to wrap this up. But What's uh, your future? What What are you hoping to achieve this year? What, what's kind of your big set of goals for the rest of this year? So, um, very simple. We want to be um, the preferred um, platform for live-in care in Germany this year, um, meaning that if people uh, look towards um, attaining this service, they should look with us um, because uh, we've um, done, I believe, a great job in the past of um, having net promoter scores on both ends of the platform of a bus 70. Uh, so um, people like us, there's a, a lot of uh, word of mouth uh, referrals uh, helping us uh, with that goal. Um, but I believe uh, that's, uh, that's something we want to strive to. It's not too easy because as said, um, there are incumbents who've been in the market 15 um, or nearly 20 years by now, uh, but uh, it seems very realistic looking at our performance so far. 
and obviously uh, taking all of the learnings uh, with that uh, that this brings with it. Uh, without getting into any details, are there competitors looking at what you're doing and wanting to get into the market? What's the situation there? So there are obviously competitors, sort of the, the old school um, right, right. people, but then there have been uh, startups who've looked at the market that, that we're looking at. Um, none of them has gotten to the point where we, we currently are, um, either because uh, they they never gained a foothold uh, in, in the recruiting side um, or they, they couldn't actually get the funds needed in order to, to break through into this market. Um, and uh, both challenges, I, I believe, so far we've, we've taken very well. Um, and I believe it's, it's a high operational uh, challenge in this. Um, but uh, by proving uh, over the past month uh, what, what we've done in such a short amount of time, um, investors uh, really uh, love, love our company. And uh, we will likely uh, close our next funding uh, soon and uh, be able to, to go ahead uh, with even more energy and power. Yeah, Great. and we certainly wish you all the best when it comes to uh, your next fundraising round. Uh, it's, it's really been a great pleasure speaking to you um, uh, as usual. And uh, really thank you for your time uh, on, on, on speaking to us about caregiving matters in Europe and, and some of the comparisons that we are, we are, going, uh, that, that we are experiencing. Uh, Andrew, is there anything else you would like to add? No, this has been fascinating. I always learn something every time I talk to Philip. So this has been a great experience. And we really appreciate you uh, being on our podcast. So, Dr. Lim, wrap it up. Thank you so much. Uh, this has been the Dr. Pronos podcast. And uh, with us today is our guest, Philip Burr, all the way from Germany, uh, Berlin. And uh, thank you for making time with uh, making time for us, uh, Philip. So for those that, of you that are listening, we are available in all major podcast platforms, spot, uh, mainly on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. And for those that are watching us, uh, we are available live on YouTube as well. And uh, all the links will be uh, are below. And we will also put up um, Philip's links in the description below as well. So if you're interested to find out more about what they're doing, maybe if you are an investor listening to this and you're interested in investing in their company, you can definitely check them out. All right. So thank you so much, Philip. Thanks, Andrew. It's been a pleasure. See you guys soon. All right. Thank, thank you. you. Bye. This is the Dr. Brenor's podcast. 